Cool. Welcome to the Thomas Pantoja Experience Podcast, Keith. Hey, thanks, Thomas. Well, I'm going to tell uh, my listeners who you are and the organization you, you work for and what is it that you actually do in Colorado Springs. Yeah, absolutely. My name is Keith Thompson, uh, born and raised here in Colorado Springs, grew up on the west side, and uh, currently I work for an organization uh, called CONO, uh, C-O-N-O. It used to stand for Council of Neighbors and Organizations. Uh, they've since dropped that label, um, but so now it's just Kono. Okay. Uh, and my role is my, my official job title, which I think is pretty cool, is Neighborhood Empowerment Officer. Yeah. And that is essentially to, to help neighborhoods organize, um, build their capacity, build leaders, and, and just having to make a difference in their neighborhoods. So what's the, I guess, what's the importance of your organization? Why is it important that a neighborhood... Uh, you know, gets together and organizes and has, you know, any kind of voice, why not just move in and hang out, live in your house and move on with your day? You know, what's, what's, what's the big why behind your organization? Absolutely. And you know, there's, there are organizations or there are neighborhoods in Colorado Springs that don't have organizations. They're not formally um, organized in any way. There's other parts of the, the city that are very organized, very, dedicated to, you know, their, their communities and, and want to maximize kind of the impact. A lot of times it does happen on economic terms, you know, HOAs get really involved in uh, home values and, and they, they're looking out for the best interest of their neighborhood in terms of really the, the home values and, and kind of what they bring to it. They, they stay very active uh, on the lower end, you know, associations are, not necessarily a legal entity, but an organization that rallies around, you know, cleanups, block parties, doing small things that have an impact. In the end, what you find is that organizations that are neighborhoods that organize, they tend to know their rights uh, and, and um, they tend to know um, their identity and kind of the culture of their neighborhoods in a much deeper way. And they tend to then fight for that and, and speak up when injustices happen or when something in the, in the neighborhood happens to individuals or um, collectively, those organizations that exist and when there's people that are organized and, and active in the neighborhood, uh, things happen and, and, um, uh, for, the, for the positive. So what's a good example? Like what's a good example of, you know, a neighborhood maybe that was struggling or I don't know, so- something happened, but your organization yeah. helped support the neighbors in, you know, fighting for their rights and getting in front of the city and making sure that these things aren't happening anymore or something that didn't come in. Like what, yeah. what's the actual, like the practical application of what you Absolutely. do? Um, you know, I'll say there's, so, there's there's certain areas of the city. Stratton Meadows would be one. There's no formal organization in Stratton Meadows in terms of a neighborhood association. There's neighbors there that are very passionate about their neighborhood, uh, and there used to be organizations there, but today there is not. So there, there's a variety of reasons of why that is. Downturns tend to be pretty difficult on you know small nonprofits and organizations that are very volunteer based. I think a really good uh, example of the power of neighborhood organizing is, I think, and in fact, there's been some really good um, recent examples of that. One I would think of is Organization of West Side Neighbors. Mm. Um, Over on the West Side, there's a great uh, organization. Uh, People are very uh, just passionate about the West Side, 
And within the west side, there's a community center. And it was kind of, uh, you know, it was um, something that wasn't seen as much um, traffic. And, and it was, there was just a lot of management questions and things were happening when and the budget uh, was not being fully funded uh, through parks. And the uh, organization, organization of West Side Neighbors and Save the West Side organization stepped up and they put a lot of effort and convinced um, Parks and Rec and the city and the mayor to put uh, some dollars towards having a, like facilitating some meetings uh, to figure out what the West Side Community Center could be. Essentially, they heard uh, those, you know, those, uh, those the city staff, city admin and elected officials heard from neighbors that the West Side Community Center was critical to their neighborhood. They still wanted it to exist. And because of that, because they, you know, just simply wouldn't take no for an answer, the city um, allowed them to kind of have these facilitated meetings. And what came out of it was a very kind of new public-private partnership that, that they're going to implement there, uh, bring in some for-profit companies similar to the Helen Hunt Community Center model, um, you know, like coffee shop and different, you know, um, private uh, companies coming in, paying rent as a way to basically facilitate that public space. Mm. They have beautiful gardens there, great play, you know, playground. There's a lot going on there. And the community said, hey, we want this. It needs to be here. And because they did that, uh, the community, that West Side Community Center is going to stay where it's at and it's going to get funded and it's going to be awesome. That's a, that's awesome. Uh, why I guess why not just leave it to the the elected officials? Why you know why yeah. why do neighbors get involved? Isn't that the whole point of like electing somebody? Oh, we'll take care of your district right. or your neighborhood. What what is it that what what I guess what gives the power t- to these neighborhoods? And do they get yeah. taken seriously by the city once they get up, or are they not? Great question. You know, you know what I'm saying? Great question. It's like, oh, well, you've got your council member here. Like, why not talk to them? Like, yep. why, yeah. why get in front of city council as a neighborhood? Yeah. So one thing, you know, you have to keep in mind city administrative staff, elected officials, they are representing very large areas. And a lot, a lot of times they don't necessarily see the nuances, the local culture, the local, um, that you know, kind of the unique uh identities of neighborhoods and if if neighbors didn't speak up and say hey this is valuable to me this is a destination i love to go to on the weekends this is something that my family sees as critical um then it's often not often but occasionally can be overlooked uh, by officials not because you know um some purposeful reason, but simply they just don't know. They don't know, you know, what makes up that unique identity of those neighborhoods. So neighborhoods getting, or neighbors specifically and residents getting involved, um, they provide a unique lens that the city can't have and they they don't have and they need, and they understand that. They want to bring those voices to the table. Uh, Sometimes that can be tricky, uh, but they they truly want to do that and they want to do what's best for the community and, um, uh, the, the public as a whole. Gotcha. Gotcha. So like with, I mean, you see a lot of new neighborhoods that come up and they have the HOA and they, you know, pay fees to essentially keep their neighborhood nice and clean. How does that, you know, how does that happen organically or what have you seen 
or, or studied like in your in your career of why certain neighborhoods, even particularly in Colorado Springs, like go on a decline. Like they might start out as a nice neighborhood or a decent neighborhood and then end up declining. What are the factors and how yeah. have you seen that flip around like with the work that you do? Yeah, it, there's a there's a unique community um, right next to Hillside, actually, in the southeast. Um, today it's called K-Land, um, and there's some incredible work going on there. Um, man, I'm just super excited with what's happening. There's a new neighborhood association. Um, when Hillside was created, when it was developed, um, there was an HOA. And um, somewhere along the line, I don't know the history of it, uh, but you mean that, in K-Land? Yeah, 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 in K-Land, um, there, was a, there was an HOA. Interesting. Um, and that, that was you know, part of the development. In fact, most developments, when they are created, they have an HOA. A good portion of them do. Um, and the, those that don't uh, were either created well before the idea, the concept of an HOA was around, or it just simply wasn't needed because there was another way to organize. Um, but, you know, for K-Land, that, that HOA did exist. And somewhere along the lines, uh, that group fell apart. And so K-Land went through a long time of not having any representation. And that's really what it is, is, is representation. When you have an organization that um, speaks in a united voice on behalf of neighbors and behalf of their neighborhood, you get representation and because you're, you know, you're, you're pushing a bat against the status quo. A lot of times status quo can be towards, um, you know, disintegration of, of the neighborhood. And and that can be in a whole lot of different social factors and um, uh, community factors that, that come along. So uh, that would be, you know, when that happens, um, it, oftentimes it's not until kind of frustration builds and that sense of, hey, like we've got something here we want to protect. Let's rally around that. How do we do that? What's what's in place and what's the best mechanism to do that? And so in K-Land's uh, example, their new neighborhood association came out of a sense of, hey, think, you know, uh, our sense of community is eroding. Let's let's reverse that. We've got something special. John Adams Elementary is there, and there's some incredible history there. Um, and they they've turned it around, and they're on a great track now. Yeah, that's awesome. That's that's really excellent. Do is there a lot of like in most major cities? Or is there organizations like yours that exist, or is is, is Kono pretty unique to Colorado Springs? Or how do other you know, in like Denver or New York or Omaha or wherever? Like, is there other um, you know, there's other organizations like yeah, that great exist. question. Um, so Kono's model is is new. It's a pretty innovative approach. Um, there's not a lot of cities doing what we're doing, um, and that is you know Kono exists at the almost one level above the neighborhood association level. Not to say that there's a hierarchy, but essentially organizing interrelated neighborhoods. So an example would be, what is the common interest of Hillside and Kayland, right? And how can, you know, Hillside has things they, they want to work on and, and areas that they want to improve. Kayland's the same thing, but is there, there, is there a commonality there 
where if we have something that exists beyond that association level, that they can speak into issues that affect both K-Land and Hillside. A good example of that would be Prospect Lake, right? Right, right. Both of those um, communities have an interest in having a, a really cool lake around them in yeah. Memorial Park. That's a great example of how those, you know, on their own, Hillside and K-Land, if their voice is unified, they have a, a, a better way to speak into prospect lake issues mm -hmm. that, have, that have happened even recently so um this is happening uh so it, you know that ex that level of neighborhood organizing exists in a few other areas the example that that kono based its vision and its um you know practical uh implementation of neighborhood organization comes from atlanta atlanta mm -hmm. has this level of uh neighborhood organizing and it's been around. It's actually existed in, in Atlanta for 45 years, and they are to the point now where um, you know the, they, the the neighbors and the residents who are involved in that level of organizing. Um, you know, it's public events. It's a big deal. People, and it, it's seen as this bridge between um, city staff and, and elected officials, all the way down to the residential level. Um, but it's a body that's highly respected, um, and what comes with it is a great education program. And so, you know, in doing our research and figuring out what would work best for Kono, it was clearly, that was clearly the model uh, that, that we wanted to bring to Colorado Springs. Not many other places are doing it. Super innovative and a uh, really good approach. It's going to take some time to, to see it fully implemented in the city. We're still kind of at the beginning stages of that. Uh, but it's exciting. It's giving yeah. people another voice, another opportunity to get involved. So what, so what can you provide? So if you, there's, you know, neighbors out there that are interested in, in what you do, um, what can you provide them? Like for, is there a fee or do you provide things for free? Like if they want to organize or if they want to throw parties or do a cleanup or do something for their neighborhood, what is it that yeah. you can provide to people and how do they get, you know, involved and, and in touch with you? Absolutely. So um, Kono really, our main, um, we do essentially three main programs. Um, we have an educational program called Neighborhood University that starts, the next cohort starts on September 13th, runs to the middle of November. It's 10 weeks. It's completely free to the public. Any resident, adult resident of the Springs uh, can participate in that. Um, and then from the educational program, we are uh, the, that next level of neighborhood organization, what we call neighborhood networks, which is that the body that kind of stands, uh, you know, on a united voice on behalf of collective and interconnected neighborhoods towards city administration and, and uh, policymakers. Um, those boards, uh, it's required to go through neighborhood university, uh, but we have um, that we have that now established on the west side. And after this next cohort, we're hoping to have a board established in the southeast. Uh, as well as downtown. Uh, those are kind of our target areas. And then those groups get to be a part of um, what's called community, community area planning with the city. Uh, and these are plans that uh, once they're, um, you know, the, the, the neighborhood network board goes through the process of deciding what, what do we want for the future of our community. They put that into a plan, and then that plan is actually adopted by city council 
anyone who goes through this the educational program and then is on the neighborhood network board can be a part of that. And that's a true legacy thing of saying, hey, I've got truly my fingerprints on the future of my neighborhood in a pretty impactful way. So if they want to do that, um, it's it's reaching out to us at cscono.org um, and uh, are reaching out to me. Um, and uh, my email is keith at cscono.org. Um, and uh, yeah, we can get them hooked in. But start September 13th. Really cool program. It's a great way to get to know your city and, and how it operates and get a better understanding of how to organize in community. Excellent, excellent. And do you like? Does your organization provide materials to do block parties or cleanups or yeah, I build that part. community or yeah, anything like that? Absolutely. How so the the other part is uh, we we you know we do activities and provide ways uh, both practically as well as kind of organizing to develop communities. So that is block parties. We have a, a partnership with um, Parks, who provides the permitting to shut down a street. Um, so you can throw parties. We have a partnership with uh, Copper to provide like musicians that'll come to your block party and play um, for free. Uh, no, not, not free. For free. Okay. No, these are these are local artists who gotcha. are just gigging, um, and and they offer their services to block parties once in a while. And we and we can work with you know food trucks and inviting a fire truck to come. You know, so just Excellent. trying to make block parties as big as possible. Yeah, block parties are huge. I really believe in block parties. It's they say once you know at least six neighbors, uh, it actually really impacts your the mental health and and how you view community. Hmm. So block parties, I think, is really the first step uh, for anyone who wants to get more involved in their community. The community cleanups we do as well. Uh, basically, we can provide a, a dumpster free of charge. Uh, if you can get a group that wants to clean up a creek or a nearby, you know, uh, something in your community where you, you see a lot of trash or you want to take care of it, we'll provide that dumpster free. We'll have it dropped off. We'll pick it up for free at no cost to the community. Um, so that's another example of what we do. And then, you know, setting up neighborhood associations, um, doing everything we can to help or, um neighbors organize in the, in the best way possible. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, so what exactly is a neighborhood association? What does that mean? And does it have <laughs> legal standing? Is it like a corporation or is it a nonprofit or what is an association and why is that important to have rather than just like, yeah. you know, a group of neighbors that hang out and say, Hey, let's have a party or right. Rally the council. Like why, right. why have an association? What does that look like? Yeah. Um, an association is not necessarily a nonprofit. It, um, there's, you know, people organizing it, organize it in a lot of different ways. But it, as it, at its very minimal level, it, the, it is recognized by the state. And there's a, a process you go through the Secretary of State's office to organize your neighborhood association. And then that association uh, typically has a board and they have officers that they elect on those boards and they the association decides their bylaws and how long they want those officers to uh, stay in that role. Typically, it's a president, vice president, treasurer, secretary, typical uh, sorts of roles. And then what that does is that sets the leadership uh, core in place that then you can begin to invite neighbors and they can speak into issues in ways that feels more formal and in, in ways that that you know, feels like it's going to make a difference and have an impact because that's the goal, right? Yeah. It's not just an organization for organization's standpoint. Um, you're, you're rallying around um, common issues, common challenges, but also 
uh, common wins. Um, and that's, that's the core of it. If you've got a neighborhood association that um, effectively uh, organizes people and has activities, you're going to have a safer, uh, stronger community. People want to be a part of that, and they want to participate. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, so what do you, I guess maybe just your opinion is something I kind of uh, str- struggle with and like understanding or like how to compromise is like the whole, you know, gentrification issue, especially, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, downtown and, and talking about a lot of the neighborhoods we talked about today, like, like Hillside or Kayland or Mill Street, or yeah. like looking at, you know, even Knob Hill, like as these neighborhoods kind of once were a little a little bit more rough around the edges. Now they're starting to come up and now that's starting to erode a lot of the culture away. And, you know, you talk to some people in the community, it's like, yeah, gentrify it. And we want to have, you know, Starbucks everywhere and Tesla's driving around everywhere. <laughs> nothing, nothing wrong with that. But, yeah. you know, when you're growing up in these communities and there's a certain kind of, you know, culture and identity to it and the, you know, I guess the way the real estate market is shifting and the way money is coming into Colorado Springs and, and changing a lot of things around, like how, how do you balance that out by, you know, what's the balance between making your neighborhood a nicer, safer, cleaner, prettier place to live versus over gentrification? And you got to be making, you know, you got to be living, you know, be a doctor to live in Hillside, you know, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. what, what is, how do you balance that? How do you balance that? And what kind of, is there laws or policies or things going on at the city and state level that are affecting these things? And do you do any like advocacy work for that or teach people about that or absolutely. How's that? How's that panning out in Colorado Springs? Man, you know, you, uh, great question, Thomas. Uh, And you, you started that kind of, you know, what is your opinion on that? Um, my, if I'm honest, I think, you know, that is some of that is to be expected, but I think you also, uh, I, if, you know, truly, I think there's there's a there's a term that we've lost. I think in American culture was which is intrinsic. Mm. Asking ourselves what is the intrinsic value of Hillside, what is the intrinsic value of Mill Street, what do the neighbors believe is is unique and special about Mill Street, mm. and I think you, and and the thing is you can't have those conversations if you're not talking to people. And the, so the way to balance it is recognizing that everyone in a community has an opinion, and that is how you find balance, is you, 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 you make sure that you give people a safe place to provide that intrinsic value. What is the, what is the value that they see in their community that's not, you know, what the, what the company that's there, that it's not you know, the outside things that bring that value. It's the inside things. What is it that just simply makes, what is it that makes a, a flower valuable? It has nothing to do with me and what I think of the flower. What is the, just a simple value that that flower brings? And that we need to have the same perspective of our communities. We need to ask ourselves, what is the, what is the value that Mill Street brings to us? What's the perspective that we don't have, that I don't have in the neighborhood I live in on the west side? Um, and I think once we get to that point, we find that balance. And I think balance uh, then comes in, in asking ourselves, how can we grow in a way that protects that value and protects that, um, that unique flavor of, of uh, what makes it Mill Street? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's where you start. 
Um, if you don't have that, then to me, gentrification just kind of runs wild. And yeah. you see that pretty consistently where, where people aren't, where they, where they are not willing to fight for something, that is where it speeds up and it happens, you know, almost kind of a breakneck speed. There's incredible work right now being done in Mill Street. They're, they're trying to do a community uh, beneficial agreement, meaning any development that happens, there's, they're going to have a document that basically says, you know, okay, you can develop, but it has to follow these guidelines. Mm. And so, you know, that is a sort of advocacy that can be really effective because that's an agreement that the city and city planners and, and uh, staff and elected officials need to, to respect, and they will if that, that exists. So I think it's a great approach, a great strategy, um, but that doesn't start if, you, if you're not organized and you don't have people speaking into it and, and care about their community. And like an agreement like, like that would be a developer would have to build a park or give yeah. jobs to people in the neighborhood or yep. provide affordable housing. Because I think that, I mean, I'm just thinking, I'm not, you know, an uh, expert on any of this, but it's like, you know, you look at downtown Denver and you see how some of these little pockets of downtown Denver have gotten so expensive and so right. gentrified and fancy so fast when yeah. it was just like Cap a Hill. blue collar right. kind of rough part not even right. that, that long ago and it's like you know you maybe don't want that you don't want it like on this extreme you know you're going to go down a street and get stabbed but <laughs> yeah. you know you don't also like it's like oh you know there there was a culture there there was like uh, you know in some of these neighborhoods like in the rhino district there's yeah. an identity and stuff but now it's like oh now we gotta yeah have a two hundred dollars just to go out you know right. down there like yeah broadway man how cool is broadway yeah. you know it's just a hub of culture but, you know, if people tried to change that, you know, you, you try to bring in a Starbucks, people are going to be like, you crazy? Yeah. You know, and that, why is that? They, they value the unique nature of, of what, what that area is, you know? Um, yeah, Denver's, Denver's a great example of that. They're, they're, rather than tear it down and rebuild it, it's, hey, how can we repurpose? How can we uh, preserve as well as still grow and, and you know, change in the way that, city needs to change yeah i think that's i mean i think that's key keith like i mean really just being i mean involved in your neighborhood and owning if you can your your neighborhood and like being yeah. being tied into it and not i don't know it, it just seems like in in some of these neighborhoods like knob hill you could see it going a couple different ways like with the art coming up like it's so so awesome with yeah. what muji's doing and and the knob hill urban arts district you know, they're bringing that neighborhood up. Like people want to go over there and see the art and see the murals and, and, you know, it's, it's not what it was 10 years ago. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, like, could it go that other direction where it becomes yeah. so cool and so hip and so trendy that like all those blue collar type businesses yep. and the, you know, small business owners that live there and the neighbors that live there, like they yeah. kind of get pushed out of that neighborhood. Cause then it's, yeah. you know, it turns, and so, you know, it just becomes overly, oh, too much, you know, it's like, Absolutely. It's, a, it's a weird balance, you know, of uh, where do you, how do you draw the line? And especially like in a free market yeah. economy like we're in, I mean, yeah. if, you know, businesses come in, they come in, they sell their stuff, but you know, yeah. you don't want to lose that identity. I don't know. It's just a weird. I think that's a great example. I think if you look at what Muji and his team are doing, uh, I don't think anyone would say that they are, you know, fully transforming 
the Platte Corridor. Right. But at the same time, I bet if you go home, you know, New York, if you're visiting family in New York, the one thing, and you live in Knob Hill, that's going to be the one thing you talk about, right? You've made a destination. Mm-hmm. And that is the beginning of, of valuing neighborhood and, and creating unique places that people want to be a part of. Yeah. He's not, they're not changing the businesses that are there right, necessarily. Right. It's not changing um, the, the, the core of it, but it's, it's transforming it in a way that makes people want to be a part of it. Yeah. And it, it strengthens it just naturally. There's yeah. no, there's no, you know, no one's pouring massive amounts of money uh, for residents of Knob Hill to, to love Knob Hill more. It's just happening because, yeah. um, you know, Muji loves it and he's, and he's going to take it to the next level. Yeah. That's awesome, man. And uh, it's so exciting to see what's happening in Colorado Springs, you know, I mean, growing up here and, you know, not, not too much going on really downtown or, you know, Knob <laughs> Hill or anything. Yeah. And now things are, are coming up, street art and cool restaurants oh, yeah. and, you know, um, just all sorts of great nonprofits, you know, coming into to Colorado Springs and helping our community. And it's, it's just an exciting, exciting time, I Agreed, think. Agreed, man. Yeah, you know, I, growing up here too, you can, I see this huge shift in the culture of Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, um, I think just uh, regardless of all the economic gains that the that um, I don't know the mayor may <laughs> try to 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 claim, I think a lot of what what makes us one of the best places to live is the culture that's been created yeah. by really cool people coming in and taking the risk and making something unique and really special, and that's. Um, that's a big portion of it, you know. So even the people that that come through who are purely tourists, they they see that they want to be a uh, they want to be a part of it, and um, it, it that's that's continues to be what puts us on the map. You know, it's man, it's an exciting time to be in Colorado Springs for sure. Heck yeah, yeah, cool. Well, I think that's it, man. Well, I really appreciate your time, Keith. And uh, if anybody wants to learn more, it's CS kono.org right? yeah yeah find us there uh we're doing a lot of really exciting uh cool things it's it's a it's a new vision um and one that we're really excited about and we're seeing a lot of early successes um and and right now the like i said the west side is undergoing their community area plan uh with 14 people who have graduated neighborhood university and who are now um pre- pretty involved in some some cool and, and exciting stuff uh, that's going to impact the west side for decades that's uh, awesome so pretty exciting stuff exciting stuff we'll get involved yeah. in your neighborhood and in your city folks have yeah. a good have a good day yeah thanks thanks, thanks heat